Welcome to the Passel CMA Series podcast, where we discuss marketing and all things business development in professional services. Today, really excited. We've got a great topic, and it's actually sort of leads off the the CMA Represents series. We're going to be talking about an equity, diversity, and inclusion. And my guest today featured on our uh, Represents soundbites, and she's going to explore this in in more detail. Nearly all law firms have an EDI policy uh, in place now, but there's not many that can truly say that they're progressive when it comes to creating this sort of inclusive and equitable environment for lawyers and business professionals to thrive. As I say, that's the theme today that's going to be running through uh, the episode. And we're really, really lucky. I'm really excited to to welcome Sylvia van der Brule. Um, she's the marketing and BD director at Hausfeld. And we're going to be talking about this inclusion, the social role and uh, how marketing and BD can help drive this change. So Sylvia, welcome to the CMO Series podcast. Well, uh, thank you, Will. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. So thank you for having me. Brilliant. I'm excited to hear um, yeah, your, your take on this uh, in the industry. So we're going to start with question one, which is what does equity, diversity and inclusion look like in today's firms? So, so the, this this is of course a very big question, and and you know one that we probably have to um, answer in 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 a bit of a very generic form. And there's always work that needs to be done, but I do feel that diversity is definitely on people's minds and seems to, over the years, to have been reasonably developed. And I feel that awareness around the importance of having a diverse workforce is um, strong and that firms are taking steps to um, improve. And I did my homework before coming um, on this podcast and and looked at the SRA statistics. um, And the most recent ones are from 2021, where they say that women make up 52% of lawyers in law firms and 35% of partners are female and and that's a vast improvement from let's say um 10 years ago and you already mentioned the the puzzles podcasts in the cmo series um and i and i've listened to the first two episodes of the the represent series you know uh, uh marketing leaders from a really wide range of law firms both in the us and the uk even mention uh, a 50 percent female partner ratio so I think that's that's fantastic. In those podcasts, there seem uh, there seems to have been consensus around the table that things have improved. But and that always is a but, of course, when we move away from diversity and we move a little bit more towards equity and inclusion, I do feel things are becoming a bit more fuzzier, and I think much more can um, be done in this area. And, and there are a lot of different aspects to equity and inclusion. You know, if I think about all the aspects around social inclusion, you know, like prejudices around people's age or having an accent or having certain health conditions. But the one thing I personally am very passionate about, and, and you and I have uh, spoken about this in the past, is really around the inclusion of business professionals as a valuable part of the working of law firm. And what really gets my goat is that law firm often define that part of the workforce as non-lawyers. Yeah, we have discussed that um, before, Sylvia. And, you know, I, I, I know uh, lots of your colleagues and peers feel very passionately, passionately about that as well. It, it's, a, it's a difficult one 
um, in terms of that that non-lawyer phrase. Um, I, th- I think someone else mentioned before, you know, the business professional, the the area that we work in, the marketing team, it is not a home for failed lawyers, <laughs> uh, which, I, which I thought was was quite an interesting way of doing it. But leading on to the second question, you know, and, and you mentioned it there, that non-lawyer phrase, is language uh, the important factor here um, or are there sort of deeper issues that, that also need addressing? Well, language is an important factor. Of course it is. You know, how would you feel if you are defined by something that you are not? I don't want to be defined by something that I'm not. It's a negative starting point. And it also implies that what is used to define themselves, i.e. being a lawyer, is the ultimate pinnacle. And everything that is not that is somehow less important. And in my book, that is as far away from equity and inclusion that you can get. So so in the past, I, I have seen documents which define business professionals as those that do not work as a lawyer. And having worked in, in finance and private equity for quite some years before I actually joined professional services, we were never defined in that way. And, and so I feel that this attitude is something a bit more prevalent in law firms. And I think actually a lot of lawyers do not even realize they do it or that they have that attitude. So, so when we're talking about language, um, I think it would be as easy to define us as everyone in the firm who supports the business in an administrative, HR, operational, IT, finance or marketing capacity. So it's very simple. So why is it so difficult to do that? And and I think um, the way that actually came to my um, attention was David Burgess from Legal 500 during the pandemic made exactly that observation on one of his LinkedIn posts and it unleashed a huge conversation. And it actually made me realize how deeply it affected me and so many others, not just in marketing, but also in IT finance and, and HR. And since then, I have actually been very vocal about it because I am luckily at the stage in my career that I have the confidence to do so. Um, and I'm less concerned about how it might impact my career path. Um, and also I work for a firm that accepts me for that. And, and it is there in their ethos to speak about injustice. So I am quite lucky in, in that respect. And different language, yes, would be a first step in the right direction. Um, and interestingly, there is still a, a debate as to what we should be called. Personally, I like the term business professionals. Some other people don't, but I do. So, so I think we could, we should start, you know, by using a different term. But, but going, going back to your question, is it a symptom of an underlying condition? I think, well, I think it is. I think there are deeper issues. I have worked at firms where I was treated differently because I did not have a law degree. And it didn't matter whether I had a first in economics and finance from a well-regarded university in Belgium. There was no interest in finding out. And so for people who are so smart, um, I think there can be a level of ignorance in that if they'd never heard of the university, surely it can't be as good as one of the the Russell universities. And so talking about those sort of deeper issues, um, when I speak to my peers, um, and marketing is often seen as a cost rather than an investment. And I think that was very, very apparent when the pandemic hit and a lot of law firms furloughed some or all of their marketing staff. Um, something that they like to gloss over now. 
the whole newly qualified salary debate. I really find it quite difficult to listen to and I find it quite distasteful because how can an industry even begin to talk about, let alone claim how equitable they are when they are prepared to pay a newly qualified lawyer with little experience more than someone with an equal degree who has 20, 25, 30 years of experience. So, you know, someone needs to explain to me how in this day and age that is still possible. And and when I make these when I make this point, uh, one of the most arguments that the most used arguments that I get is, well, people come to a law firm to appoint a lawyer. And I say that, well, good luck in running your business successfully without your army of non-lawyers in inverted commas a lot to unpick there um yeah i think yes, i have been rumba you know you know you get me on my high horse uh, Will, uh, <laughs> and there's no stopping me <laughs> no well, I, I think the point about the furlough and obviously speaking to lots of marketing um and, and business development um professionals as, as you like to call them that they weren't there you know because exactly that lots of them were furloughed and, mm. and actually it is glossed over and i think um Interestingly, lots of lots of lawyers have have sort of realised, well, we can't we can't run a business without mm. these very very important people um, that, that that do all the other bits that that's not fee earning. But the mm. point is, again, it, I think it is about language. You know, they call themselves trusted experts. Well, actually, you know, in their area of expertise, the area of your expertise and your teams and uh, you know, in 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 business professional side of things is HR. It is marketing. It is business development. So there's a sort of trust thing internally mm. that needs to be addressed but mm. yeah re, re, it's a very it's an interesting topic and one that we could probably discuss for a whole podcast yeah <laughs> but uh, ex- and, and exactly the, the you know the point that people are now making like when you when you you know listen to listen to Newsnight or you you read the papers is that they have this whole chunk of people that after the pandemic did is not returning to work and I see that with some of my friends, actually, um, that are um, that were furloughed, uh, they, and they were, um, you know, they were marketing and business development directors or managers, and um, they decided to to not return and and to just do freelance work or consultancy because they just felt that the true nature of how people thought about their value to a law firm came. Um, to fruition during the pandemic absolutely it's a scar that they now bear and yes exactly you know lots of people had that time to think and it's and it's a rejection right if if someone it is a rejection straight away it's yeah it's 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 difficult to come back from that if that happens so lots of things to yeah lots of great advice lots of things to unpick there you 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 did mention in there that where you work currently, Hausfeld is a, is a progressive firm. Um, can you tell us a bit more about their sort of approach specifically to equity, diversity and inclusion? And, you know, are there still areas for improvement as well there? Yeah, so um, we've always had a very high proportion of female uh, partners. I mean, we are a young firm, so we only la- launched in, in the UK in 2009. So, um, that that um, ethos of uh, diversity has really, you know, always been there from the very, very start. And so when in January last year, our previous London managing partner, Anthony Mayton, moved on to become global co-chair, Leanne Craig became first female managing partner in London. And at the same time, 
um, Melinda Coolidge became the first female um, managing partner in the US. So then also, if we look at the, the global management, uh, we have a global management committee and 54% of that is made up of women. And then in London, when we uh, look at the uh, business professionals, actually and globally, our senior business um, professionals, um, 50, uh, 85% are female. So, so these are good statistics. Agile working has always been a, been a part of the way we operated uh, long before it became a, an accepted way of working during and after the pandemic. And this really has facilitated the route to partnership for some of the some of our, our female partners, you know, who have been uh, and still are mums of uh, young children. There is also an entrenched belief that people from different backgrounds and cultures contribute to a better workforce. And if I look at my colleagues in London, you know, we have um, lots of different nationalities represented, you know, Spain, Greece, France. Uh, I'm from Belgium, uh, Netherlands, New Zealand, Germany, Sweden. I mean, I'm sure I'm forgetting others, but it, it does make for a very different workforce. Then, you know, sort of what else can I say? Well, in London, we have seven department heads um, and six of them are women. And we are considered trusted advisors. So we all work closely with senior management. We do have a seat around the table in partner meetings and, and offer active input. So that's quite a... Um, a nice position to be in. But, you know, of course, uh, there is still room for improvement. Um, as our workforce ages, uh, I think we should create more awareness around what we can do for menopausal women, for example. You know, I was for a very long time the only menopausal uh, woman in 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 the London office. So um, I've, I've been sort of champion, championing that cause as well. And I think we can, you know, uh, you know, we have some great programs around mentoring, for example, and I think we can uh, and should roll that out a little bit more, uh, more widely. So, so obviously there is still re- room for improvement. Like in all things, yeah, always room for improvement. And you sort of, you lead me on to my next, next question there, um, you know, talking about being the only menopausal woman and also being in, in the marketing um, and, be, and business development team, you know, do you feel strongly that the, the marketing and your and your function, your role, can play a big part in sort of helping drive this change when it comes to social inclusion in in law firms, professional service firms? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, because I think we can lead by example. Because, uh, and this is not only my firm, but you know, when I look at um, my colleagues and and law firms elsewhere, a lot of the marketing teams are actually made up by women, but also. There tends to be a mix of different backgrounds. You know, some people have university degrees, some have not. You know, we come from very different regions. You know, one of the best uh, assistants I had I did not have a university degree, but was an incredibly quick um, learner and very smart. And she's now on a great um, career trajectory herself. And I think what that does is that we live in proof that when you put us all together, we bring different qualities to the table and we form better for it as a team. I think marketing teams increasingly get a seat around the table. So we take positions of influence um, so we can influence that way. 
Um, and I think firms who have been trendsetters um, ha are like Mishcons and Keystone Law, for example. And both of these firms have done, you know, have done very well. And and I think that that is is partly explained by the early adopting of like um, awarding uh, board uh, board room seats to to non partners, for example. I, I don't know whether you know about. Uh, RGI Consulting, they do a lot of consultancy and research for Financial Times. And in their 2022 year in re re review, they confirmed that the, the the giving the seats around the table to non-lawyers, you know, if I can use that term, um, having having um, been very annoyed about it in my previous question, um, is is now a trend that they that they see more of. Um, And and I think you know as we were, were talking about earlier when I when I listen to the Puzzle podcast um, th there are so many great CMOs and and directors both male and female who actually when you listen to it they all think along the same terms and they all think in the same vein and you know they are all very well regarded in their firms and i and i sort of feel that we are a bit of without knowing it you know that combined individual effort really constitutes a bit of a silent force um which can do good and and i actually feel quite positive about that great and and actually i've been told a few times as well going back to the sort of how you can build out your team It's quite interesting because obviously the marketing and business development teams in the very nature of how you build them are normally more diverse and more socially mm -hmm. inclusive than the, you know, I'm going to call them these to annoy you, the, <laughs> the fee earners <laughs> within, within the business. I mean, the lawyers, you know, they, they, they are in most firms, unlike the makeup that you sort of said, they are, they, they are often Oxbridge graduates and they come from the same cut from the same cloth actually the marketing teams and, and business development teams can be can mm. be different and they can stand out and they can sort of you know you can uh, recruit mm. from various industries and you can recruit from various backgrounds and it's and that yeah so that, that sort of fits in quite nicely um you you have mentioned I think a few already um but but I wondered if you could give the the listeners uh sort of real world examples where you can in terms of this Um, equity and inclus inclusivity um, and, and where it sort of benefited the firm or, or other firms that you've worked at? Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, we sort of mentioned it already, you know, by by having a, a, a female managing partner who actually has benefited from the firm's support when she had her daughters in quick succession in in uh, since 2015, I think she understands the importance of support for young mothers. And So she's a, a big proponent of of enabling, um, you know, female lawyers to to have that role of of mum and and you know have that family role, but also being able to combine it with their role as as successful lawyers. Where and and it's very very difficult to not talk in sort of sweeping generalizations, but. If you if you think about it logically and you look about you look at the global management team where where it's like you know 50-50 male and female then you, you know males females tend to be known to for collab, being collaborative and having sound emotional intelligence and 
you know, having empathy. Um, and then and then you have the, the great male qualities of strength, like um, assertiveness and independence. And if you combine that at management level, then you get a very powerful combination. In, in London, we also have our head of commercial disputes, uh, John McElroy, and, and our head of environment and, and human uh, rights, Ingrid Gubay. They're part of the LGBT Q plus community. They have always been very vocal around the issues that are that are still alive. And, and the fact that they have, I think, has made us more approachable as a firm on the whole um, and a safe place to work. From my own angle, I think the way we have dealt with the global rebrand was a very good example of, you know, being equitable um, and, and and they included me. So uh, for 17 months, a team of six people, which was made up of the four GC uh, members, so that's our global executive committee, and the then global CEO and myself, we managed the whole project. And they definitely had this approach of, you are the expert, we will listen to you and 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 take your views into account. And having that voice, I think, was incredibly empowering. And I'm I'm very grateful um, for them having the trust in 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 me um, in guiding them in that in that project. That's fascinating. I, I think your point about having a, a female managing partner that you know, and, and, and the thing about getting pregnant. I think these trends they're they're trickling down. And, and you know, why should it be such a such a, a shock it should be you know uh, it should be normal now so yeah um you know it's moving as you said at the start in in, in the right direction and it should all be normalized this sort of thing so we, uh so, so it's great we're just going to do um a quick fire round bit of fun um and to find out a bit more about some of your sort of interests really so the first question i'm going to ask you what is your favorite business and non-business book I really should read more marketing and business development books, but I'm afraid I don't have a lot of time. But the my favourite non-fiction books, um, and they're quite they're from quite a few, uh, few years ago, are the the free economics and the super free economics series, and I think all the books by Michael Lewis, um, who's known um, for the being the author of Liars Pokers, I I think are fantastic books, and they explain in a in a very accessible way uh, very complex financial s- structures and a lot of them have been made into um movies the like the big short and moneyball so they they are quite uh, quite good fun great stuff yeah i, I read that free economics book ages ago i need to I've, i just picked it off my shelf when you mentioned it actually he uses <laughs> quite a lot of great you know like um uh, gangs and things like that to dis- to dis- discuss and 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 talk about uh, the actual economic impact that that has to society, right? So it's it's a great book that one. Um, I'll have to read that again. Uh, what was your first job? So my first job, um, you know, obviously I had jobs as a student, um, which which ranged from being the the some doing some typing for a village solicitor to selling ice creams in the. Antwerp Zoo during summer, but my first proper job is was actually as an au pair in America after university, where I looked after a three, eight, and ten year old, and I, and I think that to this day they were among the toughest negotiators I've ever dealt with. I'm glad uh, you say that. I concur. Uh, <laughs> not that I've got three; I've got two, but they are tough negotiators. Um, what makes you happy at work? 
Oh, when the plan comes together. I love having a plan come together. And, and when we achieve results because we've worked together and made it happen, then then I think that's always uh, gives all, gives you always a good, very good feeling. And um, if my partners and the teams are happy, then I'm happy. It's very simple, really. Brilliant. What are you listening to at the moment? And we could be going into a podcast. Obviously, you listen to our CMA series podcast. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Music. <laughs> Or it could be an audiobook, any of any of your choice, or all three. Um, when I walk to work in the morning, that's actually the only opportunity I have to listen to live radio. And I listen to a little bit of KISS FM, so just to uh, to keep um, on track of what's like uh, popular in the top 40. Um, and then I sort of dip in and out of uh, the Desert Island Disc podcast with the BBC. And I do love the Glitterbox radio show. Um, so that's when I'm, I'm having a, a little bit more of a dancing hat on. Um, and then when I need a little bit of calm and chill, um, I have a couple of uh, lists on Spotify um, with some sort of chill lounge or chill uh, Ibiza tunes so it's it's a little bit of a mixed really yeah it's a big mix okay cool. <laughs> it is a big mix yeah <laughs> um but you know so are our emotions so you need you need something for every every emotion um now i know you have just not to rub it in again you have just come back from a holiday and i'm wondering if this features in anything but the next question is where is your favorite place to visit and and why so many favorite places because one of my passions aside marketing is is photography and traveling and and obviously when you travel you really can combine the photography element uh, but one place that I will go back to time and time again and um, you know my husband thinks the same way so that's very very lucky um, are the Greek islands um, I think they just combine the that beautiful landscapes, sea, mountains. The people are really friendly. The food is really great, um, and it's always like uh, my sort of. I have always a feeling that I'm 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 coming home. You know, after my my Belgium home and and my uh, UK home. So Greek islands are, are definitely um, among the top destination really yeah i totally see that um especially as well places like cyprus my parents used to live there and they, i think they're one of their famous strap lines is come to our island 360 days of sun during the year or something like that yeah. so, you, know. Do you know i i've had i've had a couple of times where th there are other countries that also uh, use that strap line um and and i think the canary islands are one of them and and i have to say um, a couple of years ago, we went to Gran Canaria and we had 10 days of uh, clouds and, and uh, drizzle. So I think the, uh, the the 10 days that it normally didn't rain, we were there. So so it's a bit sod's law, really. Yeah. <laughs> I think the Greek islands are a bit further east, aren't they? So they they're, are a bit, they're yeah. true, true to their word. Um, brilliant. OK, thank you for that, Sylvia. Some, some uh, interesting and great recommendations there. <laughs> As I say, it's been really fascinating having you on, Sylvia. And it's, we've covered a lot, and I know that we could probably talk even even longer <laughs> and in more depth. But I wanted to just finish on, which we always do, um, and I'm sure you, your advice is going to be great. It, it, what would your, if it was just whittled down to one piece, 
What would your one piece of advice be for marketing and business development leaders looking to take um, a more inclusive approach within their firm? Um, I think have have confidence in your own ability to 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 instill change and yeah to have that voice um that's what i would say amazing as i say thank you so much for your time and and i'm sure um our listeners will absolutely love this episode um so thanks again it's been fascinating and have a brilliant uh, weekend when it comes yeah thank you very much for having me